Let's take your Bibles, please, and turn with it to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. We can look at that in a few moments with verse 1. Suppose you go to your physician for your annual checkup. Well, he's going to examine you and he's going to run some tests and he's going to, you know, ponder over what those tests say and he's going to look at what he learned from his personal exam and he's going to say, okay, in this area, this area, this area, you're doing really good. You know, you're to be commended for taking such good care of your body, keeping it in, in, you know, strong like you have. And he's also going to say, perhaps, well, but I discovered that so-and-so was going out and you know, that's not a very good thing. Something needs to be done about that. And so he's going to tell you what needs to be done. It may be medicine, it may be surgery, it may be therapy. And he's going to say, now, if you don't have it done, this is what's going to happen to you. But if you do have it done, then this is what's going to happen to you. And, you know, so you're going to have a pretty complete picture to understand what you need to do to be as healthy as you want to be. We call Jesus sometimes the great physician. You know that Jesus does pretty much the same thing with his churches? He reminds them of, you know, what's unhealthy and what is healthy and what needs to be done and the result if you don't do it and the result if you do it. Now, that's what you see taking place in the second and third chapter of the book of Revelation. Let me give you a little background on Revelation. Revelation was revealed to John, Jesus' disciple, when he was on a little island out in the Mediterranean Sea called Patmos. He had been put there in exile. You know what his crime was? Preaching about Jesus. And so that's why he was put there. And while he was there, God gave him a revelation. He, he gave him vision and images of what is so that he could see into the reality of things. And he gave him a vision of what's going to be. And he recorded that in the book of Revelation. And, and this book gives us what is and what's going to be. It gives us the triumph of Jesus and his ultimate victory and the reward for those who follow him. In the part of the book that's talking about what is, there is a vision, an image of Jesus walking among some of the churches that were current in that time. And he's giving them a checkup. It's almost like they're in for their annual physical. And he speaks to them about what's good. And he speaks to them about what's unhealthy. And he tells them what needs to be done. And as Jesus did that with those churches, in the Word of God, the Bible, He uses that part of it to speak to His churches today. So as Holland Avenue Baptist Church, you be listening to what Jesus says. We're, we're going to look at all, there's seven of those churches. For seven weeks, we're going to be looking at those churches. We're going to be looking at the first one today. You might have a little idea what it's like because it's the church at Ephesus. And Pretty much since I've been here, I've been preaching from the book of Ephesians. So you know what that church was told. And now you're going to find out what shape it ended up in. Let's look at this. Now, we're going to do it a little bit differently today. Instead of reading all of the verses, I'm going to just work on one at a time. So we're going to be thinking about falling in love again. 
with the uh, uh, book of Revelation at this time. And we're going to start out with verse 1. And this thing's got a gremlin in it again this morning. It's been turned on for a long time. There it goes. Finally woke up. It tells us, first of all, the identification of Christ. In verse 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden candlesticks, or lampstands. Now, here's a picture of Christ. It, to each one of these churches, it starts out with some description, some identification, some image of Jesus. And in, in this one, the image of Jesus, he's holding seven stars in his hand. He's walking among lampstands. What's that about? If you look over in chapter 1, verse 20, it explains it. The mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars, the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So, you know, the, the word angel there could mean messenger. It might be the idea of the pastor of the church. Uh, it might also be the idea of an angel in heaven that's a counterpart or that watches over each one of these churches. But the lampstands refer to the churches. So Jesus is the one who walks among the churches. In other words, Jesus is with us, and he knows what's going on. You see, he understands what's taking place in all of the churches. He understands what's taking place in our church. Now, since he understands, since he's done the examination, he's going to do some things. And he's going to give the... Uh, commendation at this time. It says in verse 2, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. In other words, Jesus has said, all right, this, in this church, in, in the church at Ephesus, there's some good things there. There's some healthy things there. And so he begins to spell them out. He said, I know your hard work. You know, that was a hard-working church. That church was busy about doing things that pleased God. They were busy about doing things that served God. And they weren't afraid to get in and get their hands dirty. They would work hard. They would work to the point of weariness. They realized to accomplish something worthwhile, you've got to pay a price. And they were willing to do that. And Christ commended them for that. And then he talked about their discrimination. Their discrimination. You know, sometimes we say discrimination's bad. Well, in some cases it is. But in some cases it's good. I don't know if, you, if you're going to, to buy a new automobile, you discriminate between which one's better for you. You know? In the realm of morals, you discriminate between what's right and wrong. In the area of religion, the church at Ephesus was able to discriminate between what was true and what was false. And when he talks about apostles there, he's not talking about the 12 apostles, because you know, it would, everybody knew them, but they were also sort of you know, traveling ministers, and some of them took up the work just because they could get a following and because they could make a profit. And some of them were really called by God to do what God wanted them to do to help build up the churches. So Ephesus, you know, they could figure out which was which. 
And they wouldn't tolerate them if they were false. If they weren't, you know, sharing the good news. And this is reiterated down in verse 6, where Jesus said, you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolonians, which I also hate. Again, a false doctrine that they wouldn't have any part of. They were doctrinally pure. And then he talked about their perseverance. You know, their patient endurance. And this wasn't just, you know, a, a sitting back and saying, well, what will be with B? I can't do anything about it. No, it was kind of the, the endurance that was able to set a goal and with patience keep moving toward that goal. They persevered even in the face of persecution. So there was a lot to commend this church. There were a lot of good things going on there. And then we move on to verse 3 where Jesus uh, begins to, excuse me, we move on to verse 4 where Jesus gives the reprimand. He said, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. You have forsaken your first love. When love leaves a church, nor about of perseverance or of hard work or of doctrinal purity is going to take its place. There must be love there. How do you fall out of love with Jesus? Well, you know, maybe it's like happens in marriage sometimes. You know, young couple meet, they, they, they begin to talk. They begin to share their hopes and their dreams. They fall in love. And, you know, this progresses. You know, they just, they just can't wait to be with one another when they're not with one another. They're thinking about one another. And they think, okay, we're going to get married. And so they get married. And they, when they get married, say, we're always going to be in love. This is, we're going to go on together forever. And then there are the appointments. And there are the demands. And there are the, you know, bills and they're the arguments and they're the stresses and they're the jobs and there's taking care of children and one day you wake up and you look across the breakfast table and you think who is that stranger sitting over there you've fallen out of love you didn't mean to do it it wasn't by design it just kind of happened because it didn't get nurtured all along the way you didn't build time for yourselves as a couple I think that's what happens a lot of times with individual Christians in Christ. I think that's what can happen sometimes with a whole church in Christ. We fall out of love because we haven't nurtured the relationship. We've been busy doing this and busy doing that, and we've got to go keep this appointment, and we've got to be involved with that, and we start arguing with one another, and you know, pretty soon Jesus is in the background. We didn't intend to put him there, but we did. And he doesn't play much of a role in what's going on in our lives or in the life of the church. Sometimes we fall out of love with Jesus because of sin. <clears throat> you know, adultery can ruin a marriage. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 12, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. People get so caught up in doing sinful things that they lose their desire to be close to Jesus because he makes them feel guilty. And so if they've got to choose between a sinful practice and Christ, a lot of times they choose the sin to their own detriment. But it happens. 
Ephesus. A good church. But a church that somehow or another had gotten so busy with other things, even good things, that they just didn't love Christ like they once did. So Jesus is going to give a prescription. He's going to tell what's going to be needed. And as he gives this prescription, it's in here in the first part of verse 5. Well, the whole verse 5. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Right. Three things. He tells them three things. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Remember where you used to be. You know, sometimes that helps get a couple back together who've kind of grown apart. You, you remember how it used to be, and you think, okay, we did it before, we can do it again. Happens with us as a church. We, we need to remember sometimes just what Jesus has done for us, just how it used to be. Can you think back when you first became a believer? Can you think back when you first began to understand that Jesus went and died on the cross and that he died on the cross shedding his blood for your sin? And it began to dawn on you that he did that for me. He must love me so much. And you were forgiven of your sin and you became a child of God and there was just joy and peace in your life. Can you remember? Sometimes we need to remember just how much Jesus has done for us. We also need to remember our commitment that we made to him. You know, sometimes when a couple gets in trouble, they just need to remember the commitment they made. They, remember when, they need to remember when they come and stood at the altar. They said before the witnesses and before God that we're going to love and we're going to cherish for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health. In other words, we're going to stick together. We're making a commitment to stick together, whether it's good times or bad times, whether it's hard or whether it's easy, whether it's sorrow, whether it's joy, we're going to make it work. And, th and that's what we need to do, you know, with Christ. We need to remember that we made a commitment to Him, to let Him be Lord. We made a commitment that we were going to serve Him. We made a commitment that we we're going to follow Him. We made a commitment that we are going to put Him first. We need to remember our commitment. So Jesus said, remember. And then He says, repent. Repent. You know, you run across that word in the Bible all the time. The, the prophets used that word with Israel, calling them back to turn away from following other gods and to follow the Lord God. When John the Baptist was sent to prepare the way for Jesus, what did he preach? Repent. Turn from your wicked ways and get ready for the coming of the Lord. When Jesus started his ministry, now go back and look it up. His first sermons. We're going around and saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. It's a strong word. It means you have a change of mind and you have a change of action. You change your mind about how terrible your sin is. You know, we're, we're you know, like to laugh about sin, think it's fun. We forget that it's deadly. We forget that it's an affront to a holy God. So we change our mind about sin. We change our mind about God. 
that he's not a, a grandfather who's going to condone our sin, neither is he a judge who's going to judge us without mercy and delight in being able to cast us into hell, but he is a God who is a father that wants us to become a part of his family. We change our mind about our own sin. We change our mind about God. As believers, sometimes we have to change our mind that putting Jesus on the back burner is not all right. We need to change our mind and put him first. We repent. We, we take action. Not only do we change our mind, we change our actions. We start doing those things that are going to nurture our relationship with Him. Whether it's gathering for worship, whether it's private worship, whether it's saying yes when He tells us to do something, whether it's listening to Him as well as talking to Him. We just do those things that keep the relationship deep and strong. And then He says, do those things that you did at first. In other words, Ephesians work doing anything terribly wrong. They, in fact, they had done a lot of good things. It just got to the place they weren't doing them for the right reason. They were doing them out of duty. They were doing them out of a sense that they had to do it or out of the sense of what we always done, we'll keep on doing it. They needed to come to the place where they did it because of love because of the love they had for Jesus, the love they had for one another, and the love that they had for the people who needed to come to experience that love. They just had to get back to their first love. And so Jesus reminded them of that. And then he reminded them of what would happen. They didn't do that. He said, if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Now Remember what the lampstand stands for? The church. Sometimes churches die. They kind of dry up on the vine. You know, they may still be there, you know, with a building and a, and a congregation, but they're dead. No. The presence of Christ isn't there anymore. They're just going through the motions playing a game with themselves, not really counting anything or amounting to anything in the kingdom of God. You know, I bet you know churches that have died. You know, they just, they just count for nothing anymore in the kingdom of God. They're just kind of like a country club. But then... Jesus gives some encouragement. First part of verse 7, he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, notice, you know, he had been talking to the church, and then it, it changes to singular. Let him, he who has an ear, you know, one person. And you know, the church is made up as individual people. And, and what we do as individuals, what we decide to do as individuals, sets the direction for the whole church. So we need to hear what Jesus is saying to the whole church, and we need to hear it as a congregation. We also need to hear it as individual believers so that what we do builds the church up and makes it pleasing to Christ. He says, I've got a promise for you. To him who overcomes, now, now, look at that word overcomes, 
To him who overcomes, you know, that's the idea of winning a victory. You see, we're in a battle. We're in a battle with the forces of darkness. We're in the battle with the devil. It's a battle every day. And we, we thought last week about putting on our armor. We go into battle every day. Satan doesn't take a day off. The Christian life is a contest. It's a struggle. It's a fight. And you've got to be involved with it every day. But to him who overcomes, to him who wins the victory, what happens? I will give him the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, where have you heard about the tree of life before? You go over to the very beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis, and in Eden, the paradise that was Eden, God put the tree of life. And when man disobeyed God and ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, man was kicked out of the garden. And the way was barred through the tree of life for God didn't want someone to live in their, mankind to live in this fallen state forever. But now you come to the end of the Bible, and guess what? The tree of life shows up again. Shows up here in this verse. Get to eat from the tree of life. What happens if you eat from the tree of life? You have life. Revelation 22, it says, <clears throat> talking about the new Jerusalem, with the river running through it, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Then in verse 14, Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may go through the gates into the city. What's the image? The image is God makes it possible for those who receive Jesus to have the access to the tree of life, to have eternal life. God gives us life everlasting, eternal. Jesus is saying, follow me, do what I ask, and you get the right to the tree of life, life now and life eternally. All right, Holland Avenue Baptist Church. How healthy are you? What did John say, or Christ say to this church that applies to our church? Well, there's some commendations, I'm sure. You know, this church loves one another. That struck me from the, from the very first couple of times I came here. You people care about one another. Commendable quality. You know, you've got some wonderful programs. You've got a good music program. You've got a, the mom's program. You've got a children's program. Oh, you know, you can name a lot of others. Some good things. But you know what can happen to us? We can do good things out of the wrong motivation sometimes. Sometimes we could be so busy trying to make church just like we want it that Jesus gets pushed into the background and then we start squabbling over things that don't matter. They're insignificant. They're totally unimportant in the eternal scheme of things. We need to be careful. We need to be careful. Or we push Jesus into the background. What about you as an individual Christian? Are you still in love with Christ? Or has that love grown a little dim 
over the years. You know, and busyness, sorrows, illnesses, stresses, temptations, a lot of different things can pull us away from Christ. Do you maybe need to repent? Change your mind about the place He should have in your life and come back to Him, live close to Him? Maybe you need to receive Him for the first time. Maybe you've never made a commitment to Jesus. Oh, you've been to church and you've heard the sermons, but you've never come to Him and said, Jesus, I recognize I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sin. I, I realize how terrible and wrong it is. Forgive me and cleanse me and make me your child. You know, He wants to do that. And when He does that, He'll give you eternal life. You'll have the right to the tree of life for all eternity. Here's an old story. A man had done something that had angered the king. He knew he was in trouble. He and his wife started to flee, but the king's soldiers caught up with them, took them into custody, and carried them before the king. And the king said, I'm going to throw you two in prison for the rest of your lives. And the man said, go ahead and throw me in prison. It's all right for you to throw me in prison. You know, let my wife go. She didn't have anything to do with this. It was just me. You know, throw me in prison, execute me. I don't care if you execute me, just let her go. And the king was so moved by his plea that he said, I'm both free. As they got out of the presence of the king, the man turned to his wife and said, well, what did you think about the king? She said, I didn't see him. He said, you didn't see him. He was standing right in front of you. How could you not see him? And she said, I couldn't take my eyes off the man who was willing to die for me. Jesus was not only willing to die for you, he loves you so much that he did. And this morning, you have the opportunity to respond for the first time or to respond anew to that love. Our invitation to him is 559.